Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Brubble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. New host, who dis? Oh, I hate that. Hey, Gunts, it's the Greasy Threesome from Page 7 here to talk to y'all about our upcoming New York first ever live show. My name is Jackie Zabrowski. My name is Molly Neffel. And my name is Holden Gucci McNeely. You are far too old to say that, BTW. Y'all know we got a new boy up at our sleepover, and it's time to lock him in the bathroom and make him say Bloody Mary. We're not going to traumatize him just because he's new. Joke's on you. I love being locked in the bathroom. You're a monster, but guys, the first ever brand spanking new Wizard and the Bruiser and Page 7 live show is coming up soon. We would love it if you would join us at the Bell House in New York on June 9th. We are going to put on a bit of a doozy show for y'all. We've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I'm super excited to meet all of you guys. So join us for our debut and be the first to peep on the live show experience. Mosey on over to New York. Come on, help us kick this pig. You can grab two. Tickets in the show notes of today's episode. Come on, you know you want to come sing with us. I have never sung a day in my life. My life is mirthless. Let the great experiment begin. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Okay, I want to address something up top here. Whoa. Okay. All right. Um, some criticisms I received. I want to talk about this. Are you um, going received... into cri- are we in criticism corner? Listen to me. I'm back against the wall. All right, I'm in a corner here. And, where am I? and that's where I'm the most dangerous. I know it. <laughs> right? But I had several messages saying that I neglected to make a single Jim Penis Town joke. <laughs> Wow. Last week, Jim Penniston, one of the main witnesses of Rendlesham, who we talked about many times, <laughs> they've said that I neglected my duty, that I fell asleep at the wheel. Wow. By never once calling him Jim Penis Town. <laughs> now, honestly, you don't think, yeah, honestly, you know me. I think about you, it, yeah. If you're a ride or die listener of the show over the last eight to nine years, uh-huh. you know for a fact. All I see is Penis Town. I know it. When I look I at his name, all I do, I look at it, and it's just Penis Town. Right. Penis Town. He's got a ton of penis. A ton guess. of penis. Ton of penis. Penis Town. Penis Town. Ton of penis. That's all I see. Right. When I see his name. But this is a serious story. <laughs> this is one of more. This is one of the more important 
UFO stories that existed. Uh-huh. Right? And this is the permanent record now. <laughs> right. Because right? we enter into the public record as soon as we do these episodes. Absolutely. Well, thank you for keeping it classy and not mentioning and not mentioning his name sounds like penis town. Although you did just <laughs> mention it about 14 times. So that's fine. I mean, we're keeping it classy nonetheless. I try I'm trying to glow up. I'm trying to show up, right? Every day. Be here 110%. Marcus, look at me. Am I filled with energy? Ready to do the show? Yeah, he is. Look at him. He's glowing. He's glowing. Yeah, you see me? Looking at Kissel. He's pouring kombucha on top of the 18 beers he drank last night. <laughs> Think that's going to help? I was doing better. I'm, I'm on my kombucha kick. It tastes like beer, but it doesn't have any of the uh, hangover side effects. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, that's my statement from the very top, <laughs> from the heart of last podcast to you. Oh, I'm right. sorry, and I'll never neglect my duty again. Well, absolutely. Duty as in shit. Oh. Oh, As in my big fucking dukey dukes. Wow. I'm covered in dukes. I'm a big baby sitting in my dukes. Well, and indeed, the st- the tale we're going to get to today is spooky, ooky, and dookie. This is last podcast on the left. I am Ben with Marcus Parks. Hi. Hello, Marcus. And of course, we have the newly reformed Henry Zabrowski, but not in the way of it's like, maybe he's better. He's actually worse. <laughs> I have not been rehabilitated by free speech jail. Good. I am moldering inside of spe- free speech jail. And I'll tell you what, if I get out of here, I'll kill again. All right. <laughs> I swear to God. Well, but honestly, speaking of penis town, we can't wait to come to Australia. <laughs> yes. Sydney, we're coming to you. You got a bottle of those tickets. I'm very, very excited. Should I, should I not go to the koala sanctuary? Because I've heard that cradling them makes them aggressive, kind of like me. With any luck, they'll think you're one of them, and uh, you'll be like <laughs> the father of the entire tribe of koalas, and you'll be treated like a king. I mean, a king koala, which I don't know what that means. Maybe more banana. What do they eat? <laughs> they what do they eat? Eucalyptus leaves. Oh. That's yeah. actually not so bad. And Dave Willis told me that they smell like nug. <laughs> All right. And Dave Willis, of course, from your pretty face, is going to hell. Make sure to catch that. But yes, Perth, come on out to see us in Perth. We love you so much. And we cannot wait to see you. We're coming to Perth on June 23rd. It's just a couple of weeks away now. And we're going to be, of course, in Adelaide on the 24th. Sydney on the 27th. Melbourne on the 28th. And Brisbane on the 29th. Come oh. on out to Perth and Sydney. And Penis Town. On the 30th. We're Absolutely. going to Penis Town, Australia, which is somewhere in between Badongadong and, and, and uh, Wonka Chunka, and the, we're, we'll be in there. Don't Absolutely. you worry about that. Well, I think Penis Town is whatever hotel room you immediately enter. It turns into <laughs> Penis Town. Also, full disclosure, kombucha. I'm on this lemon ginger cayenne kick. This one is, uh, I don't know, not as good as the one I had in the last stream on the left. Yeah, lemon yeah. ginger cayenne doesn't sound like your style. <laughs> No. Anyway, what, we are, what are your farts gonna be like now <laughs> well, that you, you know are what, adding Henry? sea monkeys? You are just pouring sea monkeys this is onto not... your beer shit. All right, we'll talk about this on side stories, and I'm sure you guys will tell me what my odor smells like, as you <laughs> always do. Okay, let's get to the serious matter at hand here. All right, we are <laughs> yes. on to Rendlesham Part Two, and I, along with the audience, is absolutely fascinated uh, to hear what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So when we last left our friends at Rendlesham Forest on December 27th, 1980, Colonel Charles Halt had just made his recording after seeing multiple lights in the sky, John Burroughs had just had his second encounter, and Jim Penniston was losing his goddamn mind. He was, and he loses his mind in only the way... uh, He is a cross between Steve Brule (laughs) and the father 
from King of the Hill. <laughs> oh, he, really? He is Hank Hill and Steve Brule of who's one because he's strange. He's a toe-shaped man, mm. and him talking. I've listened to hours of him speaking now. Of course, and he cannot talk. But the way that he talks about, it, he's a like, me. Eh? Uh, you know, I'm one of those guys, right? I don't know about. I need to have a. I need to have a bottle of coffee. You need to think. Right? <laughs> so all time is a, and I'm a wild up. I'm wound up. I'm in the CNN tomorrow, and I know it's just about what I'm going to be sleep. I'll best be having myself a little bit of a pot of collar. Now. And I was like, I am going to fucking throw my laptop into the street. <laughs> I love him. Now, Penniston's the one who did the more articulate drawing. Is that right? Yes. And Penniston was okay. the guy who actually touched the mysterious craft when it landed that first night in Rendlesham Forest. Okay. And of course, he was having a bit of a hard time dealing with the whole situation. Mm. In fact, according to Charles Holt, the colonel who made the recording, Penniston needed a full week to recover from the experience. Well, that's a little bit of like getting out of work. <laughs> don't you? A full week. Are you week calling will... him a malinger? I don't know. A full week is a little bit like I had a cough for one day and let's stretch it out because, I mean, Oprah's on. And what I will say is that we're covering at the end of this episode is that Jim Penniston had a abnormal experience. When he touched these, like, you gotta remember, he suffered from missing time. He was inside what he called, and many other called, a bubble of influence mm. around this craft. He felt energy surging throughout his whole body. Probably like the first time he got touched downstairs by old Judy back in the day. You know what I mean? When he was seven years old, Judy was 49. <laughs> uh-huh. But he was... He was forever changed. Well, in addition to just his mental struggles, which sounded a hell of a lot like PTSD, mm. Penniston was also beginning to develop a nasty inner ear problem, which was eventually diagnosed as Minier's disease, which causes tinnitus and dizziness, among other things. So that's when you just put a dollop of mayonnaise in your ear every night before you went to bed to stop the sounds of construction, and then it turns out you got a disease. <laughs> <laughs> Is that from personal experience? Where did, no. <laughs> that is an interesting idea, but yeah. it's a very it seems like a very specific idea. No, I actually I learned to love the sound of construction. When you want to sleep in New York, you just have to love the sound of hammering mm. and then it, you got to work it into your dreams. Now, the Air Force never offered any sort of help to Jim Penniston when it came to medical treatments. But as Nick Pope points out, that doesn't mean that the Air Force just left these men to their own devices. Soon after the events in question, the debriefing and eventual cover-up began. Mm. The original statements taken after the two incidents were from five men. Fred Masters, J.D. Chandler, Ed Cabinsang, John Burroughs, and Jim Penniston. They scooped these eyes up pretty fast because at first everyone was laughing. But these brass essentially showed up. To be like, okay, what was the AFOSI? All of the, the, the Air Force internal police, they showed up. Now, these statements only concerned the first night, the landing night. But the strange thing about these statements is that they didn't deny that there were lights or strange goings on. Nor did they even deny that there was a mechanical object involved. Hmm. Actually, these reports, as far as UFO sightings go, are not as skeptical as one might think. A few of them are actually filled with defenses of the character of John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, because neither men were prone to flights of fancy. 
Jim Penniston couldn't even play Monopoly because he's oh. just like, you mean to tell me that there's a boot walking around buying real estate? Oh, my goodness. That ain't real. It never been real. So this is interesting. So they got to go through, like, these guys aren't crazy. These mm-hmm. guys are totally rational. That's the majority of the report. Yeah. Interesting. And But they, they took it very seriously because, again, what we covered in the last episode, this turned out to be actually a very important base so these guys showed up and they when they said that a craft Mm -hmm. alighted in between these two heavily guarded very very secret you know our fucking nuclear contingency oh yeah in, in europe when these showed up so they came and they really dug in i mean i think the only way you can get in there is with a military pass or a sam's club membership card because <laughs> yes. what you don't understand is the sam's club membership the sam's club membership card it's more than just getting you into sam's club <laughs> It's they will beat card. you with batons if they find out that you entered into a Sam's Club without the membership. They will it is, the it is you. more. It is. It is harder to get in there than the Masons. I know for a fact that everyone who is checking receipts at Sam's Club now works for the TSA. <laughs> they are intense. But these statements did definitely leave out many of the, as Henry would say, wooey-woo details, ah. such as the missing time and the strange symbols. In fact, with a few of these guys, the Air Force just showed up with statements for them to sign. Airman First Class Ed Cabinsang, who was Penniston's driver, actually said that he was told to sign his statement without question. Mm. And if he did sign the statement, his involvement would be over. But he also said that this was done under strong duress. And Cabinsang signed his statement without even reading it. Wow, it's like the way that we pass laws in this country when corporations give them the legislators <laughs> and they're like, you're just going to sign this law or your life is going to be over. <laughs> yep. But they also, these guys were really looking to get out of this story sure. because this is highly embarrassing. They are they are having to deal with this. They're getting laughed at all over the base. It, they The cover-up has already been done for them. The right. U.S. military doesn't have to worry about it. They can just step back and just let the idea of UFOs and people just laughing at them allow it to create a class cloud of secrecy over this entire thing. Right. So you think the military was the first one to call him Penis Town? Yes. Is, do, you, do you think that's fair to <laughs> yes, say? Yes, I'm certain. Okay. I'm certain. And the other strange thing about the statements is that no statements were taken from such key players from the first night, such as Bud Steffens, Crash McCabe, and John Coffey. Hmm. John Coffey's just out there with his little mouse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And concerning the second night, no statements whatsoever were taken from those guys, especially not from Charles Halt or any of the other men present at the landing site when the strange lights appeared in the air. It was all concerning the first night. Hmm. It seems that when it came to interrogations, the Air Force saved all their hard ramen for John Burroughs and Jim Penniston. Oh. Yeah, they did. Uh-oh. They saved every last inch of that ramen. <laughs> every last... Globaram. Yeah, I don't like the idea of a military ramming. It doesn't sound. I don't know. Fun. I've seen some. Yeah, I've seen some on in documentaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on that great documentary you watch called Boob Camp, where it's like boob, boob camp, camp, but everyone Love has that. big boobs the ho- and they're naked. Man, yeah. the just the wow, the 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 basic on that is brutal <laughs> and invasive. Yeah, you know that's not really how basic training works, right? <laughs> I certainly hope not, because I have a lot of questions to ask my father about the Navy. <laughs> Well, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston would be interviewed over a dozen times, 14 by Penniston's account. 
And each time they were interviewed, they were always told, this is the last time. Just tell us everything you know. This will be the last time. We'll never bother you again. But they kept coming back again and again and again. Okay. Colonel Halt actually made a startling claim about these interviews in a chapter of a book called UFOs. Generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. The way to make UFOs sound boring. How do they make UFOs? And it's like every position that, that's in charge of you. But it also, all of these guys, though, have great cameos on what I still believe to be my favorite UFO documentary. Not just title, but in general. But the title is great. It's just called, I Know What I Saw. (laughs) That's the title. But it's just old military guys just shaking their fists, being like, and they called me a damn fool. Risking my life for this country and calling me a damn fool. I love it. It's it's the same reason why I like watching Vietnam Vietnam vets talk and and the World War II guys guys talk because they are way fucking serious and they and they had, there's no grandkids around so they can curse oh absolutely <laughs> is the cover for i know what i saw just an empty park bench covered in pigeons <laughs> <laughs> well in that book halt claimed that the men who were interviewed were pumped with sodium pentothal aka truth serum Whoa. on multiple occasions which could have easily led to later physical and mental problems I'm Talk- gay <laughs> I'm gay I'm thankful for that shot the doctor gave me cause now I'm gonna go all the way to Broadway <laughs> and I'm gonna be the, the oldest man to ever star in Annie <laughs> And what's really interesting is that neither Burroughs, Halt, nor Penniston actually ever have, nor do they now believe, in the existence of extraterrestrial aliens. They still don't. Nope. No. That might partly have to do with the fact that they seem to openly despise the UFO community. As they should. Uh, it is a it's a rough group of eels out there. We're going to cover a little bit of the drama of this episode. Okay, Rendlesham, the Rendlesham Forest incident, also known as the Bentwaters incident, depending on which what fight you want to get into. Okay. Today, what fight do you what fight do you want to start mm-hmm. between first of all just the name of the incident. That's one. And the YouTube drama that goes in the UFO community is so toxic and so stupid that even old Jim Penistown doesn't want to go and hang out with these guys because he's like, I'll tell you what, difficult talkers. Someone like me, I'd talk as soon as frog hop of a frog hop of a log. That's my talking. (laughs) Another interesting situation here is how both the United States Air Force and the British Ministry of Defense handled this entire affair. As far as the Americans were concerned, since all this happened outside the boundaries of the base, this was a British problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, Halt was a part of this attempted handoff. One of his superiors had him write a sanitized version of a report as far as what went on. Actually, Halt, he called that report a bit of a tickler. A tickler. Yeah. yeah. And I think they described the spacecraft as a bizarre crumpet. (laughs) And then they're like, so how hot would the tea be if it was around your proximity? (laughs) Well, he said the whole point of making it a tickler was to pique the interest of the Ministry of Defense (laughs) so they would take over the investigation. God forbid it piques the interest of the queen. (laughs) I like a tickler, but I like it to be a boy on a chain. (laughs) Oh, God. 
Now, the HALT memo, as it is now known, was the first formal notification to the UK Ministry of Defense that something had happened, and it was the first document to later be released to the public. As far as memos go, it's fairly comprehensive while still retaining the privacy of the people involved because HALT had promised his boys that he'd take care of them. Okay. I'll tell you this, man. In common parlance of the times... The Halt Memo slaps. Yeah. Really? It is fucking, it is hot fire. The Halt Memo is the, it really does, because it, it set the whole world aflame when it came out, because it's the first really public acknowledgement that these guys sat, and they had a fucking, they had several meetings trying to figure out the verbiage to say that mysterious lights showed up at a at a top secret base. This uh, report uh, was, I mean, and it was even like a toned down version of the Weird. events because he had just called it. He didn't call it like UFO report or anything like that. He just titled it "Unexplained Lights." Okay, that's still pretty cool. But Halt didn't write the memo until January thirteenth almost three weeks after the incident, which meant it didn't arrive at the Ministry of Defense until January 19th. Hmm. And since so much time had passed between the incident and the delivery of the memo, an investigation was kind of a moot point. And the passage of time also allowed the UK to claim that it obviously wasn't that big of a deal if the memo could wait almost a month. Interesting. So they were able to pass it off as well. They wanted it to go away so bad. Charles Halt, in his most recent speech, <clears throat> he did say that that was the whole goal. The goal was that he knew, but because he was, he is a capital G, capital C, good cop, right? Charles Halt was the kind of guy that was like, it must have an investigation, but at the same time, I can't, I can't deal with the fallout from this shit mm -hmm. so he wrote the halt memo afterwards and slow rolled it hoping hopefully that like you know essentially be like someone will come and and handle this one day but i've done my duty well yeah. i mean in fairness it wasn't that long it was just three weeks after the incident i mean this is before email folks <laughs> like things were a little bit slow uh, slower it's not like they waited a year or something i mean that is true but i guess when you know there's an incursion into a military base three weeks is a pretty long time to wait to tell somebody about it sure but even though Colt was the good cop he still fucked up. Uh oh. Yeah, of course. He made one mistake in the memo, and this mistake ended up muddling the entire affair. Mm. He listed the date of the first encounter as December 27th, when actually it had been on the 26th. Ah, you gotta get the date right. So, when the UK did finally do a cursory investigation, signifiers such as the next day and the following night were completely useless when it came to checking radar mm. in an investigative capacity. Yes. And furthermore, when they finally got it right and checked the night in question, they found that the recording apparatus at the radar station in charge of that area had been, quote-unquote, switched off that night. Whoa. <laughs> or so they fucking say. Really? Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah, so, anybody could say a lot of stuff. Yeah. I could say I'm six foot three. I could say I'm champion of the basketball leagues, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I said it. Leagues? Is it real? Yeah, the leagues. Really? Of the, yeah. of the many. I'm the, the king of the seven kingdoms of basketball. <laughs> like Robert Baranthian. I just started watching Game of Thrones. I just started. But also, I feel like because of this error, Halt went on to write a book called The Halt Perspective. <laughs> Which is 800 pages. Oh my of god, information. you're it up right now. It's, it's Look biblical. At this thing. Wow. I could beat my father to death <laughs> with this book. 
and there is no table of contents. It is a full-on, it's a stream of consciousness collection of articles and pictures. Every single bit of Rendlesham that exists is in this book. But the, the person who reads it, if there is a person who could sit and read it and, and fucking go through this whole thing, I will give you a gift certificate to Applebee's Whoa! because you deserve it. Because this is thick. That's the highest end gift certificate you can give. Yeah. But it's the only book. <laughs> it, it's the only book. I really do feel like if you don't, if this is the only way to understand Rendlesham is to read this entire book. And I, I got through about 50 pages of it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Interesting. The Holt Perspective. Check mm-hmm. that out. Buy this man's book. Well, concerning the governmental responses, in other words, the British government and the United States Air Force tossed this hot potato back and forth until it wasn't hot anymore, then they threw it in the fucking garbage. Oh, at least eat it. (laughs) Now, each government had information that, when put together, told an amazingly compelling story. But... Nick Pope and many others believe that while the UK did assume a tacit primary responsibility for investigation, all the government wanted was for the whole thing to just go away. Mm-hmm. So they did nothing except a cursory investigation and hope the whole problem would just disappear. Right. Some argue that the horribly inept and casual way that both governments handled this situation suggests that there was some hidden hand guiding the incompetence, while others say that this is just a good example of humans being humans. Right. But. The way I've seen it presented again and again is it really just does feel like it to acknowledge it fully, to try to fully go into it would open cans of worms that nobody can figure nobody could get to the bottom of. They're scared of those damn worms. They're scared of them wiggling worms. Because mm-hmm. if you get to the bottom of those worms, what if they're not even worms? What if those worms turn out to be future people? <laughs> That's a whole thing we'll get into obviously at the end of this episode. But the it's it is highly difficult to imagine this thing just sidled in, Uh-oh. like me walking into a Starbucks bathroom, and then pissed all <laughs> over our nuclear weapons, and then left. So, but this is really, I mean, this is just clerical work, right? So these are just civil servants kind of just doing an average civil servant's job? Uh, these are above civil servants. Okay. These are people, these are high-ranking government and military officials. So we expect a little bit more out of them. Yeah, you okay. definitely expect a little bit more out of these guys. I mean, it's obvious that both governments thought that if they ignore the entire incident, it might just go away. Mm. But unfortunately for them, plenty of ufologists were eager to dig that cold potato truth out of the trash. That's all I eat is cold potatoes. I don't even want a hot potato. I'm going to put my lips on a hot potato. You know what a hot potato feels like in my mouth? A big old shit fresh out of my butt. I like a cold potato because then I know that it's a root that's got hard nutrients in it going inside my fucking egg-shaped Stanton Friedman's tribute body. If you're the military, I truly think you would prefer hearing the hard stomping of a group of, uh, an army of orcs coming to destroy you than the small pitter-patter of ufologists. Ufologists just like... All of in our little Nike Air Max shoes with little bubbles in them. That's the that's the nutrium gas in my shoes. No, I don't think that's just air, I think. From your grave. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. Live from your now, last week, we actually lowballed our number as to how many people saw the lights in the sky on the night that Charles Halt made the recording. It wasn't 60. It was actually over 80. Mm. And that's just the people on the military base. That doesn't even count all the people in Suffolk. Okay. And when those dudes on the military base started going off base just a few days after the incident to return to their local pubs in the British countryside... Word of the incident at Bentwater's Woodbridge started getting around after the drinks loosened up the tongues a little bit. They turned into the Bonnie Raitt song, let's give them something to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is top secret until you have a couple of Guinness. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Specifically, an airman named J.D. Ingalls told a version of the story to a local musician named Chris Pennington. And Pennington's girlfriend, Brenda Butler, was a bit Mm -hmm. of a local UFO nut. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. And he turned that into one of those, like, prog soundscapes that Marcus loved. Called, like, (laughs) lights in the sky, lights in my eyes. Like, and they were like, cool, cool, all right, cool. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, we have uh, single-handedly revived the career of Joe Meeks uh, because of last week's side stories. So I guess that's good. Yeah, I mean, he's been dead a long time. All right. But maybe uh, his family will enjoy the, uh, well, no, it's not going to be that much extra money. Okay, great. Yeah. It's really not. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, that woman, Brenda Butler, and another woman named Dot Street were part of an organization called the British UFO Research Association, or BUFORA for short. <laughs> Ooh, honestly, that's one of the better UFO acronyms. I like that better than um, even uh, what's this putz? KUFOS? Yeah, KUFOS. I fucking hate KUFOS. 
<laughs> yeah, Bufora sounds very, and it also sounds very British as well. Yeah, it sounds like a hot chick, man. Bufora coming in. Bufora it does. Queen it sounds like the... a lady with no underwear on. That's Absolutely. Why like. You have Elvira, Queen of the Night, and then you have Bufora, Queen of the Noon. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. She's covered in sandwich meat. <laughs> well, those two women worked with another writer named Jenny Randalls, who pulled all the information together and wrote an article for the Flying Saucer Review in 1982. And that article was quickly followed by another in a small publication called The Probe Report. Yeah. (laughs) Yucks. Uh, Well, it's actually pretty interesting. Most of our readers are senators, um, but they say they were disappointed with the content. The truth is out there. Inside my asshole. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Lindsey Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I love it. You know, I love a solid investigation. (laughs) Investigation. Whoa. But the thing was, it was actually the Americans who really brought the big picture out of the shadows. A few dudes here in America, subscribers to the Flying Saucer Review and the Probe Report, had a tool that the British didn't have. An AK-47. <laughs> oh, yeah. They had the Freedom of Information Act. woo Because the British didn't have a Freedom of Information Act counterpart until, like, the year 2000. It's a pretty, it's a fairly new thing in Britain. We've had ours since, what, the 60s, 70s? Oh, yeah, because it used to be you have to send a tickler into Buckingham Palace in order to <laughs> lick the clit of the queen as they started telling her secrets in her sleep. Right, right. Yeah, FOIA, big deal, big deal. Well, using the information the Brits had given them, the American ufologists were able to submit well-targeted Freedom of Information Act requests, and those requests uncovered the infamous Halt memo. Okay. Yes. And with that, the Penniston and Burroughs experience with the craft landing in the forest became public knowledge for the first time. Not even the British ufologists knew about the actual craft landing in the forest at so, this time. So we can do a USA chant. USA, hey, USA, 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 USA. I mean, it's a humble USA chant, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's we did something good here. They did just file paperwork. But well, that's, <laughs> it's a humble that's USA. That's what a ufologist weapon so. is. A ufologist <laughs> weapon is the protractor. Unusual tenacity and paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) But soon after the Halt memo was in the hands of the British, the split came. Uh oh. After all the information was put together, the UK ufologists, rather than keep the story to themselves in their tiny little community, sold the Rendlesham story to the press. They sold it out to the sun? What <laughs> yeah. the hell happened? Yeah, because the, the doubloons, man. The doubloons fucking walk, man, and talk. Ufologists don't got that money. They don't have any money, which is why they all should be thankful. They should be thanking every day on their knees for Tom DeLong and the amount of money he's pushing into ufology. Well, we'll talk about that on Side Stories, a little controversy with DeLong. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in the words of Nick Pope, the selling of the story irrevocably split the U.S.-U.K. alliance and caused a controversy and bitterness that lingers <laughs> to this day. <laughs> I mean, there is. Thankfully, there our is. bond between our wonderful allies and the U.K. held strong. They ruined the special yes. relationship. <laughs> they ruined a special ruined relationship. <laughs> they legitimately, if the belts could go higher, they would. Because it's wow. a competition to get those belts higher. Because each ufologist, because Stan Friedman currently has the record of having the belt at his throat. And having his entire body just be one giant pant. And I I appreciate his, his and honestly, 
since his demise, ha, we've really lost it. Yeah. We've yes. lost the belt war. Yes, I, it was just his death. It wasn't his demise. He didn't die on the sword of an alien creature. It was <laughs> just you know his how he died. Yeah, he was a, an 82-year-old man. Yeah, he I just think died. He, he wasn't <laughs> Until I see the toxicology reports, which I have sent in, I request, I want to be present for his autopsy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Now, the paper that the UK team sold their story to was the News of the World, which I'm sure you'll remember, Ben, was the Rupert Murdoch paper that got shut down back in 2011 after they hacked the phones of the families of murder victims, among many other crimes. That scandal was crazy. Yeah, it was I mean, huge. Is that not good journalism? Like, honestly, no, is that no, not kind can't. of the aggressive journalism yeah, we're no. supposed to be looking for? It's extremely illegal. It's, it's okay. against all privacy concerns. Yeah, it's against it's def- it is unethical. To say the least. Of, oh, sure, okay. of course they did. Winners win, though. In the end, <laughs> winners win, losers lose. So yes. And by the way, speaking of Rupert, he lives in Australia, which leads me to think <laughs> about our Australian tour. Which Good brings word. me to this next sentence: Please buy tickets when we're out in Perth, Sydney, Brisbane, <laughs> Melbourne, and Adelaide. Yeah, look at you. Look at <laughs> that. Yeah, all the very good. That's called a plug here yeah. at radio. <laughs> well, actually, the American ufologist. Kind of had it right. Ooh, I'm sorry, I just got to fucking Uh-oh. get some rage. I had, I got I, but it's fine. I had to say ufologist just once. Thank you. <laughs> You're right. You're correct. It's good to check. It's good to give me a blood pressure check. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. The, the Americans did actually have it right. Because although the news of the world story brought the incident wider attention, the story was also much more fiction than fact. Hmm. Because it was, after all, a fucking... Rupert Murdoch paper. Of course. Furthermore, traditional journalists, and this is just my personal opinion, traditional journalists, especially those working for a Sunday weekly in England in the early 80s, don't usually have the necessary, let's say, sensitivities or Mm. the eye for subtlety that's needed to properly report a UFO sighting. All right, I'm just going to push back a little bit. Fox News is Ben Kissel raising his hand (laughs) in the back. Um, Did people not consume these papers like they were going out of style? They just gave the people what they wanted. They wanted they wanted steamy. I want to throttle your fucking throat. Right now. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna literally. I want Marcus to drop. I am here. coming back to Top Hat like as soon as we get back from Australia. Like, I'm coming back. They're, they want steamy info on aliens. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't help. It doesn't help anything. No, it doesn't help. Well, that's what I'm saying. Okay, I'm not saying it helps. I'm yeah, just saying that's what people want. Like traditional. Yeah, that exactly. That's what people want. But you know what else people want, Ben? Big Co- Macs. Coca Cola, uh, fucking poured into their mouth. 24 hours a day. That doesn't mean it's good for them, Ben. Yeah, no, it that's all they want. They it want fu- uh, that's all they want, man. All they want is a hot pocket filled with fucking Oxycontin. That's <laughs> what the people actually want. <laughs> that's exactly what they want. It, mm. and it's, hey. Sometimes what people want isn't what they need. Remember the Rolling Stones song? That's the one good, true good song they have. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, that's been ruined now as well. <laughs> By what? Donald Trump still plays it after every speech. Okay, well, yeah, now the Rolling Stones have completely been ruined for me. Yes. Sorry. Sweet. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news the past two and a half minutes, but this is the reality we live in. We changed that fucking reality. Okay, we can't do it right now. We're talking about Rendlesham. In the process. Now, while some parts of the story published in the Sunday Weekly were indeed true, a lot of it was outright lies or embellishments on the part of the staff at Bentwaters Woodbridge who just wanted to be a part of the story. Yeah. And there was no person at Bentwaters Woodbridge more guilty of embellishment and outright lies Mm. than a man named 
Larry Warren. Ooh, yeah, dude. What is with the Warren last name? Yeah, they're the, all uh, yeah, the Warren family. The uh, it's like Amityville. And- yeah, Warren is always uh, Warren is attached to the paranormal world in the same way that uh, Bundy is attached to the true crime world. It hmm. just pops up again and again and again. Strange. But Larry Warren originally went by the pseudonym of Art Wallace when he first spoke about the Rendlesham incident. Larry Warren has become a little bit of a side project of mine while doing these episodes because Larry Warren, he's maverick. Okay? <laughs> he's a maverick? Larry Warren. I, I think that's a way, the one word I'd use to describe him. He's a maverick. Okay. I was fucking rock star. Liar is also a pretty good word to use to describe He's a rock star? <laughs> well, he I'm, is. In oh, my no, mind, no, no. it's like in a world of drama. In this in this world, because there's a lot of drama within the Rendlesham, or as they like to call it, the the RUI, right? Where it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of weird shit going, and there's a lot of fighting. Because Charles Holt, to me, right, he's the Mariah Carey. Oh, he's the true diva who doesn't care what anybody says, and he doesn't listen. <laughs> he doesn't even he doesn't even let them absorb. He doesn't even let them stop his stride. Right. You got Jim Peniston. For me, it's kind of like a Brandy, mm. where he's oh. kind of a down home girl. Still kind of capable of fucking throwing it yeah. out at any fucking time, right? But it sings good hits. It's fucking stable center of the story. Right. But Larry Warren, he's kind of a left eye. Mm. Yeah, I'd say he's like a Lisa left eye Lopez. He's a little unpredictable. He'll burn his ex-boyfriend's house down. Yeah. But he also can lay some licks. And he is, he is highly... Uh, Unreliable. <laughs> wow. Well, it was just the um, the sad anniversary of Left Eye's passing very recently. I believe it was last week. Oh. I saw an article. She was the best. TLC yeah. was great. Oh, good. So I'm on time. So I'm, this is perfect for me. Yeah, great. you really nailed it. Yeah. We're timely. We're cool. We're hip. Now, although Halt and other officials maintained for a long time that Warren wasn't even stationed at Rendlesham, that's because they just didn't know him. Because Warren had showed up just two weeks before the incident and remained, and I'm right on this, right? He just kind of remained a low-level grunt his entire time there, right? He was there for two weeks when the Rendlesham incident happened. Now, to put it kindly, as Nick Pope does, Larry Warren is, in a word, controversial. I thought you called <laughs> yeah. him a liar. You were already... <laughs> well, I'm putting it kindly right now. But yeah, that's Nick Pope. Liar. I did call him a liar before, but yeah. now I'm calling him controversial. I don't know. I called him a maverick. <laughs> yes. Now, he's what's known in the UFO world as a standalone, meaning his version of events don't match anyone else's in any way whatsoever. Okay. In any way whatsoever. <laughs> he made up Quite a bit of stuff. (laughs) All right, all right. But Larry Warren left the Air Force in 1983, meaning he could talk about anything he quote-unquote saw that wasn't classified information. And all the other dudes involved were career men, so they weren't able to speak publicly until the early 90s. Yeah, these bunch of scabs. That's what he used to say. Larry Warren talks like that. He is a human cigarette from Queens. He is from my time. He sounds like a combination of my father and my mother. And his everything is being like, they allowed themselves to get rolled over by the man. Me, I left because I knew I had truth to tell. And me, I'm the only person who ever gave a sandwich to a black kid in a segregated restaurant. <laughs> He's obsessed wow. with this story, but that shows how honest he is. Wow. And he is a, he just, oh man, we'll get into it more and more as we go. All right. No, as such, because Larry Warren got out in 83 and the rest of the guys got out about a decade later, for a long time, Larry Warren was pretty much the 
only whistleblower when it came to Rendlesham Forest, or at the very least, he was the loudest whistleblower. So he whistleblower. Had, he had a full decade head start to get the narrative out and really control the conversation. Mm-hmm. He tried to control the conversation. He actually did help get the Holt memo out on a wide scale because of writing the because when he wrote the book with Peter Robbins left at East Gate left at East Gate is now incredibly controversial because it's filled with lies but uh. at the time this was the entire Rendlesham story and it's but it's kind of but the, he fucked it up right because he was the first person to introduce it it's like if the guy that invented donut holes Right. If instead there was a guy before him that came out with donut holes, but instead of calling them donut holes, he called them like shuggy dumps. Ooh. Right. He just like he just fucked it up. He just fucked it up, and he was just like, it's, it's, you know, how I'll do it. So he's I'll take the donut bit and I'll stick it up inside my asshole and I fit it in exact size on my asshole. Hey, shuggy dumps. Hey, shuggy dumps. And because, yeah. but because Larry Warren, uh, he took it all a bridge too far. And then the bridge burnt down. Right. And now Larry Warren's living in an inner tube in the lake. Ooh, he's going tubing. Not bad. Something to do during the summertime. Well, what follows now is Larry Warren's version of the story, which supposedly occurred the same night that Charles Halt recorded the tape we heard in episode one. It starts off with, there I was, with a 10-inch <laughs> cock, thick as the dickens. You can't oh, believe yeah. how big my dick was. I couldn't even wear pants. I had to go to the circus store and get elephant pants. I was playing stickball with Frank Sinatra and my best friend, Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, really? Wow. So Warren claims that he was one of the guys assigned to take the spotlights into the forest on Charles Halt's orders. Hmm. And when they got through the forest and out into a field, however, Warren said that he and 40 other men, both American and British, were faced with a pulsating, glowing fog. Remember, so this is a remember, just to set the scene a little bit. Right. Holt and everybody else were at dinner for their Christmas celebration. Right, it was like an right. award ceremony. They're at dinner. They got called. Guys came in and said, it's back. The UFO was back. And they all left. Larry Warren is saying he was out there with that original crew that saw these lights and then saw it with everybody else. But they say that they don't remember. And now this, he still may have been there because we don't remember. If a group of 40 people. Yeah, he could have, he, he very much was there. Okay. He was so at he was Rindlesham. there. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But he said as him and the other guys saw a pulsating glowing fog, the tranquility was broken by a voice over the radio. And the voice said, quote, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> Did he say, here it comes, here it comes, like he was indeed speaking to the head of his penis? What happened? Here it comes, Jim Penis Town. All right. I'm going to shoot these orbs all over your fucking back, you fucking dirty, you dirty Air Force bitch. All right. Well, it sounds like a deleted Nixon tape there. That's very good. So here it comes. Here it comes. Okay. Here it comes. No, I don't think Henry. I don't think they said it like they were orgasming. But maybe I don't know. Actually, that's how I would have said it. I know how you would have said it. And in a second, a small red ball of light came flying at high speed from the coast and hovered in the field right above the glowing fog. Then exploded with a flash of light so bright it hurt Warren's eyes, oh. or so he said. <gasps> and when. Warren looked again. He saw that the ball had been replaced with a craft 30 feet across and 20 feet high. Oh, that's much larger than the uh, scale previously uh, talked about. Much. 
And this is the different craft altogether than the craft that Jim Penistown saw. This was a craft that is, he is adding to a story that is not real. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Warren said that the craft he supposedly saw was pearl white and pyramid shaped with a few blue lights on the underside. In addition to that, Warren said the thing was translucent and he could see indistinct floating figures inside. Hmm. And at that point, Warren said, Halt, or another guy, stepped forward and began speaking with the figures inside. Warren couldn't hear everything they were saying, but he said he definitely heard phrases like, Electronics Division and <laughs> Apart from Another World. Whoa. <laughs> it's the AV squad from space. And they're there to set up the, the monitors so that you guys can watch. Like when we used to watch Willy Wonka when our sub was in and the yeah. teacher was out. Of course. So he heard two things that were very on the nose. Yeah. But I will say, honestly... I, we talked about a little bit last time how intelligence is, like, if, if we're poking through the, the universe, right? If the universe, if intelligence poking through the universe into our brains and creating these visions, it's quite possible that he saw these things. And the problem is, is that everything else does not connect whatsoever, which we'll, we'll get into. Yeah. Mm. Nobody else saw any of these things. But people no. did say that they saw something. Yes. So that's it's what just, makes this interesting. It's not as if they're, like, denying seed anything. Yeah. No. Well... To Warren, the electronics division stuff suggested that the spacecraft was damaged and the aliens were looking for repairs as per the agreement between the aliens and the government signed so long ago. The Grenada Treaty, yeah. It was at this point that Warren and the other men were ordered to leave the area. Almost immediately after, though, Warren and the others went through a rough debrief. Uh-oh. In which they were all scanned with a Geiger counter. That was the, the third scene in boob camp. Yeah. Wow, man. <laughs> the rough debriefing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then Larry Warren, who at the time was a kid who had only been in the Air Force proper for a couple of weeks... Harry Warren claims that he was shown explicit videos of UFOs and was told that there was an alien presence on Earth that the government worked with. Basically, they did the thing that they do in movies, where they were like, we can tell there's something special about you, Private Larry Warren. <laughs> so come with us into this back area, which is all in the book, Left at Eastgate. I do, please read it, because it's a fun trip down a rabbit hole. But he... They basically, they sat him in a conference room with two other guys. He, whoever wrote Men in Black, I think it was Barry Sonnenfeld, stole all of this from this fucking book. Mm. <laughs> they sat in a office where they sat and watched a video where first he's like, it was a, a guy in a suit, civilian clothes, came in and he turned on a TV, the fucking, the electronics division. Right. He pulled in a fucking PA system, like a TV on the stand like they used to have, of remember? Course, of course. And they rolled it in and he showed a video that first was like, it was a picture of the Washington Monument. UFO comes in from the left side of the screen, hovers next to the Washington Monument. The guy in civilian clothes is like, hmm? Huh? Like pointing to the TV. Right. Then picture Vietnam. It's Uh-oh. like literally like, oh, no, watch here, world. <laughs> like it's a scene of this. UFO rises out of a swamp in Vietnam and shoots off into space. Picture the pyramids. Fucking video comes to the side. And Larry Warren's hanging out this whole time being like, what am I supposed to learn from this? And I'm like, okay. This is what we're going to show you. You keep this all secret, all right? You're going to keep all what you just saw secret. And now, you either get fired from the government <sighs> right now, Uh-oh. or you pay a $300 fine. 
And he just was just like, I'll take the fine. Yeah. I'll do the fine. And then you know what I mean? Then he just made the fine. Then he left, being like, wow. And then he said that he um, drank a six pack of beer and went over to the girls' camp like it was a summer movie that they swam across the lake to the girls' camp really? where there were girls hanging out all night. And he said he got too drunk to fuck and slept in a car. Very interesting. <laughs> I think you are forgetting the moment where he did say after the showing of the video, he says, you know the difference between me and you? I make this look good. Yeah, dude. <laughs> he did say that. And when Larry asked what would happen if the witnesses were to tell anybody else about this new information they'd inexplicably been given. This burden, this burden of the ultimate truth that you gave to four privates for no reason. <laughs> they were supposedly and infamously told, quote, bullets are cheap. What does that? Uh, what does that mean exactly? I, I, are we talking about the price of bullets? Have they gone up or have they gone? Is this what is the point of that sentence? Bullets sir? are on sale, is what I'm saying. The bullets are on sale. They're okay. actually on sale. This is a fly. You actually could take this coupon into oh, Bullet oh, Town. And so you that can go, you can go get as many bullets. They have nine bullets for seven. Nine bullets for seven. That's great. I yeah. thought at first it was a threat the way that you said bullets were cheap, but it is a sale. Yeah. It was a sale. It's a sale. I just tried to pep it up because my ad sponsor guys are just up my asshole about my reads. They want me to put my, my, own, my own spin, my own personality in the reads. Yeah, yeah. But this story is interesting because bullets are cheap. It becomes the mantra behind the, the, this whole thing. Goes, and it's all from Larry Warren's side of the story. This idea that the U.S. government was really going to try to kill these people. Where actually, I thought it's more of a... The, the Penis Town and Burroughs story. Just of call it him being, Peniston. Stop calling him Penis Town. I wish I could. Now it's stuck <laughs> now in there. Now it's stuck in there. Honestly, he has a fan mandate to call him Penis Town. Dude, fan I, mandate. One guy fucking sent him a DM on Twitter. I don't it's know. True. <laughs> it's true. Peniston. Peniston. No, so Peniston. I'll go back to being mature. Okay. Peniston and Burroughs, they were soft debriefed. Oh. They were not given the f hardcore. They weren't threatened with violence. They just assumed that all of this would die a natural heat death of a UFO story where it would just kind of lose fuel and go away. Okay, yeah. so they were they were Showtime's um, Red Shoe Diaries yeah. debriefed, and the other ones were just like kink.com debriefed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I yeah. get it. Now, despite this threat about bullets being cheap, Warren was pretty damn loose-lipped with the story. Huh. But yeah, according really. to him, he did there were some consequences uh -oh. to all yes. this. Years later, he said that he was kidnapped by the men in black and taken all the way back to England to an underground facility beneath the Air Force Base where the sighting happened, where he was, quote-unquote, interrogated. And again, in a scene from Men in Black, <laughs> he was put in these giant chairs, literally... Just like the scene when he has to fill out the paperwork right, right. and Will Smith came. It's like, it is that room that he was put in and then they came in and interrogated him again. So any evidence of this? Yeah. Was there any evidence that he was taken by the men in black over to Europe? All obviously a gross fabrication. Okay. Yeah. In fact, this isn't even the original form of the story. The ch story kept changing over the years. Yeah. And Warren is even admitted that part of this story came from Adrian Bustenza, who actually did have an encounter with Burroughs during the second night. He was the guy that was driving the Jeep when the mm. uh, UFO came down and checked out Burroughs. He's like what happens on Instagram now. Now where they just copy a bunch of other people's work. Yeah. He's like, I'm an aggregator of ideas. <laughs> I'm not stealing ideas. I'm an aggregator. I'm a UFO curator. Right. That's what this is. But I 
because there's a part of me that I want to believe one half of the story. And I always like when things go to planet Xenon. I love the story about the Dulce base. I love all of these these stories. The problem is, is that this is this is the type of thing that ruins the party for everybody. Yeah. Of course. This is the type of the, him lumping in all of these things into the story because he was the first one out the door to tell the Rendlesham Forest incident story. It 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 just fucks up the party for everybody else. He's yeah. the poop in the punch bowl, as yeah. they say. Mm-hmm. And Warren's lies actually just broke the heart of one poor ufologist. Oh. Peter Robbins, who is the co-author of Left at Eastgate. His name is really Peter Robbins? His name is really Peter Robbins. <laughs> he had to write what must have been a humiliating mea culpa, apologizing for believing and working with Warren for so many years. These guys had like a 28-year relationship. Yeah, and it just happened. The Left at Eastgate actually was just finally t- taken out of print um, because, and the main thing that drove the split of their relationship was that Larry Warren photoshopped himself in pictures with John Lennon because John Lennon was his favorite and Stevie Ray Vaughan. (laughs) And they have a series of pictures of them together where then he went on to sell fake versions of memorabilia from John Lennon and Stevie Ray Vaughan, like Stevie Ray Vaughan's like shoes. Yeah. And then he said that he got a pair of glasses from May Pang. The, the girlfriend in between, when when he broke, when John Lennon broke up with Yoko for a hot second and he was with May Pang, May Pang had a pair of his glasses apparently and like let him wear it and May Pang was just like, he didn't get any fucking glasses for me. And Larry, Wa- Larry Warren was trying to sell him at Sotheby's for 20 grand. Yeah. Huh. And really, and he actually did get part of his uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan memorabilia through Christie's. Uh, like he was able to sell it at Christie's. But Christie's, after uh, a very short investigation, had to refund the, I think, $7,000 that some dude paid for what was supposed to be uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's guitar and, I think, a hat. Because, you know, Stevie yeah. Ray Vaughan always wore those fun hats. Of course. He wore the fun hats because he was, he was the type of bald I'll get when I start wearing my fun hats. Yeah. He also sold a mason jar of st- of Jaleel White's breath. <laughs> really? I Which love was weird. That. that was weird. I it sold for $17 to a man on the street. No kidding. No <laughs> kidding. Love, J- uh. J- love Jaleel. Come back to us, Mr. White. Uh, in the blog post that Peter Robbins wrote, which was strangely published on a blog called Infomaniac Housewife. You got to trust it. Uh, you yeah. have to trust it. Yeah, in that blog post, Peter Robbins described Larry Warren as the best liar he ever met. And even proclaimed that he had ended his Facebook friendship with Warren (laughs) as of January 3rd, 2017, which also ended their real friendship. It's complicated. Well, all of this, well, it was recreated. The Infomaniac housewife was obsessed with Larry Warren and his lies, and it was actually reposted from Peter Robbins' Facebook page. This is what I'm talking about, man. This is Facebook trauma that has been plaguing the UFO world for fucking decades. I mean, wouldn't it be easy to tell if it's not Stevie Ray uh, Ray Vaughn's hat, though? Like, if it doesn't smell like black licorice booze and just overall dandruff. Cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah, because Stevie Ray Vaughn (laughs) is the most impressive cocaine uncle that ever lived. And Larry (laughs) Warren is right with him. Like, Larry Warren, the two of them together, like, you saw the, the Photoshop picture of them together, it does look like your Uncle Larry's 
awful 40-second birthday party that you were forced to go to, where they were just in and out of the bathroom, just fucking covered in sweat, talking about how they were going to open up a bowling-themed bar together. <laughs> I think that's just called a bowling alley, um, Mr. Ward. It's, yeah, we, man, fucking yeah. Yeah, that's a, exactly it. It's, but the, yeah, we call it the bowling alley. We already have... But the thing, yeah, yes. But we already yeah, have but, three of those in town. Do you think that we're going to need another... No, there's no bowling at ours. No, there's it's just no themed. bowling, it's but themed. it's called no, the No, man, you got big bowls seats right look at it we got long thin food right that's what we got to do yeah any any concern that the food any concern the clientele is going to be immediately disappointed when they came to bowl but fuck them if they don't fucking get it dude fuck them if they don't get it dude let's open it up well the thing is the damage larry warren did to this whole story wasn't just the reputation of peter robbins peter robbins honestly seems like a sweet and very sincere man Mm. like i genuinely feel for him but warren did immeasurable damage to the credibility of the story his bullets are cheap line has plagued this story for years because skeptics rightly, if not pedantically, point out that maybe bullets are a lot more expensive than the spooks claim because <laughs> there's no shortage of people involved in the incident talking about Rendlesham. This is not about the price of bullets. <laughs> but honestly, at Christmas time, they raise the price of bullets and then they say they're cheap because they put a sale. But that actually just brings the price down to the regular price of bullets. Mm-hmm. Have you shopped for bullets or? around Christmas time? How would you know that piece of information? Yeah, I do. Every fucking year, I at least look. I at least just look at the prices. But that's why the Hall perspective may not be the book that you want, but it's the book that you deserve the Rendlesham Incident. <laughs> and you right. should try to force it in your mind if you ever want to fucking consider yourself a, even an amateur ufologist. Wow. Well, there's no shortage of possible explanations coming from skeptics when it comes to explaining away the incident at Rendlesham, a few of which we will address right now. All right. The prevailing theory that we've been hearing again and again from people is that this whole thing, which occurred at one of the most sensitive and heavily armed NATO bases in Europe, was just a big, elaborate prank that got out of hand. Really? Live from North Wales. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom! An official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com it. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh. Like creator, Kate. This Glade Orchid Neroli candle is so fresh. It's like fresh as watching a sunrise in Santorini. Yeah, I'm going to need more of those. Explore the new Glade Fresh collection today. Live from your Glade. The story we keep hearing comes from 2003, published in that stalwart of journalistic integrity, The Daily Mail. (laughs) I was going to jokingly say The Daily Mail. (laughs) (laughs) They reported that Kevin Condy, a former United States Air Force policeman, was responsible for the whole thing. Because Condy told The Daily Mail that he caused the whole incident by driving down the taxiway in his car with a spotlight covered in red and green lenses, then just drove around in circles in a foggy field with a loudspeaker going, and then just turned off the lights and drove away, and that was Randall Sharp. Okay. 
He said he'd pretty much forgotten about this prank until he saw the Rendlesham story on a site for ex-military personnel, and he put two and two together. And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't know that my prank caused such a huge stink. And we're not saying that Condi didn't actually do this dumb-as-fuck prank. I don't even fully get the prank. I really <laughs> I don't honestly fully understand around, the prank. He just the, drove around? The, 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 prank, or- the prank was that some guy was always seeing lights or something like uh-huh. that. And so he decided he was, oh, I'm going to make a UFO. So he put red and he put a bunch of lights on his car and a loudspeaker playing wooey-woo noises mm-hmm. and drove around in a circle. And you know he's just eating cheese sandwiches, tooting up his car, <laughs> just be like, I'm an unidentified farting object. <laughs> oh, they won't even get the joke because I'm alone in this car. <laughs> <laughs> but it's highly unlikely that 80 Air Force personnel would have confused Condi's fucking Pinto driving around in circles with a UFO in the sky. Because there are people even joke on the military and their ability to be observant. I mean, honestly, even that's, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the stomach. Right. Yeah. And what he's saying sounds a lot more like Larry Warren's version of Vince anyway, because mm. he said he was driving around in a fog and Larry Warren was saying there's a whole bunch of fog and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And furthermore, all the dudes who were involved in this incident, like uh, Halt and Penniston uh, and Burroughs, they all knew Kevin Condy. And while they would not put it past him to do something like this, Condy wasn't on duty on either of the nights in question. Hmm. And if he did do this prank... He did it a few nights later. So he might have done this and just no one really paid attention. It's a lot of work for a very little payoff. <laughs> it really is, especially also the other official story of a possible prank where in 2018, Dr. David Clark, he basically said that it was supposed to be a SAS prank where the USAF beat up a bunch of SAS troops that had tried to deal with their, their security perimeter, try to like fuck with their security perimeter. And then as a as retribution for beating up these troops, the SAS created a, the, it was the, as December approached, lights and colored flares were rigged in the woods. Black helium balloons were also coupled to remote controlled kites to carry suspended materials into the sky, activated by radio controls, which seems to be a lot of work. Yeah. Are, isn't our military supposed to not just be like, I don't know. Kevin from Home Alone just <laughs> setting up random pranks all over I don't know. Town. Yeah. And also... It, aren't they was, supposed to be protecting our nukes? It was also uh, discovered that that uh, claim was someone had said, wouldn't it be cool if we had done all of this stuff? <laughs> uh, and Honestly, it would be cool. It would, it would be, be, it it would would be kind be, of cool. I mean, a, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the SAS, they're some of the biggest military badasses in the entire world. And yeah, I guess they could do that. But it was a guy saying like, what? Wouldn't it be cool if we had done that? And then it, the story got picked up and ran with. It just as doesn't. They did that. It doesn't seem like the movies are accurate. There is no Robin Williams. There is no John Candy and Stripes. There is no humorist in the military. No, just these big old beefcake guys trying to Wait tell jokes. It's not. Wasn't work Dave out. Barry in the military? <laughs> so in fact, Dave there Barry was, and I believe Mark Twain. Was a tickler for the U.S. Army, right? Uh-huh. Well, but yeah. Mark Twain is not a comedian. I think Louis Grizzard. He's a humorist. The famous humorist, Louis Grizzard. I think he was in the Army. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Rob oh. Riggle. <laughs> Rob Riggle. All <laughs> right. I know that one. He was a Marine. He was, and he's very funny. He is very funny. Mm-hmm. I'd like, okay, fine. I stand corrected. Well, another explanation put forth came out in 2009 from an Ipswich man named Peter Turtle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Turtle. 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 Turtle enough for you? I'll, I'll never, I'll always remember that movie. I love Dana. I've just rewatched Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Dana Carvey is just the best. I love that movie. He's I love both of those movies. Yeah. Well, Turtle, who has been described kindly as a quote unquote local character. <laughs> 
local character is also like, get kids, get over here. Kids, get, <laughs> yeah, get yeah, back yeah, near yeah, me. Get away Whenever you see him. A turtle said that what those guys really saw was him and a buddy pulling a truck full of fertilizer through the forest. That was my shit duty. <laughs> Me and my buddy, we were, we were dragging the sheets. You know how it is. I gotta say, your little Bobby's certainly getting taller. But no one, I mean, no one described this event as if it smelled like, uh, you know, one of those, uh, what is, what's the name of the fun Juggalo concerts? Uh, the Gathering? The Gathering. It didn't smell like, <laughs> not, I'm not demeaning them. But Do not I mean, demean not 30% of our listener base is probably Juggalos. Well, then they yeah. will understand the statement, the outhouses around a juggalo event are very they're very they're very fertile it's yes. very fertile um, so i'm assuming they would have smelled a boat a boatload of shit well that's the thing is that turtle said that he was driving the truck full of fertilizer down the road close to the bases when the truck broke down and as turtle sat there reflecting on the situation he realized that the fertilizer had probably been stolen so it's either been stolen or I lost it. And I've never lost a shit in my life. Because you know where you go to look for it? It's in the toilet. Just cut to people, someone looking like Chris Farley from uh, Billy Madison when he stole all the sandwiches. But instead he's just eating all the shit. But no, mm, someone left all this, this whole truck full of chocolate. They left it for me. <laughs> So after Turtle realized that the fertilizer was probably stolen, he and a friend towed the truck into Rendlesham Forest and set the whole thing on fire <laughs> in an attempt to destroy the evidence. And it was from this big pile of burning shit that all the pretty colors were made. I mean, it was possible. one of the better s'mores I've ever had. You wouldn't think that shit would make such a tasty, tasty roasted marshmallow, but it really does. It, uh, I mean, so far, this holds up. Yeah, <laughs> This makes a lot of sense. Now, even though this explanation is obviously dumb, because I'm sure both Penniston and Burroughs knew the difference between a UFO and a pile of literal shit on fire <laughs> in the forest. That's amazing. I don't know. That's actually very I don't know. tough. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's tough. Even though, yes, those guys knew the difference. I know, I know, yeah. This story still made it into three national newspapers in the UK. What do they got? Wow. Daily Mail? What's the other ones? Do uh, we the know? The Sun. Oh, the, the Mirror. Oh, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those are what, uh, maybe those are from TV shows, but I think It is funny that they're named after things that you shouldn't look at, like the Sun, and if you look like me, the Mirror. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, maybe people shouldn't be reading those. I look in a mirror once every like three days. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's no, scary though. I feel like I mean you can look in a mirror. I mean you don't look bad. No, I know, but I just don't think about. it. I don't feel the need to. Yeah, I don't. I, I would go yeah. through life without a mirror. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. I rarely go outside. Yeah. Well, this is this is a lot. There's a lot <laughs> being revealed. <laughs> so discounting any human activity on the ground, we must now turn to what was seen in the skies. Now, while it is true that meteor activity was present on the night of the 26th, those meteors were only seen for a few seconds. According to the boys, the lights they saw were long and sustained. Mm -hmm. Another possible explanation is that a Soviet rocket re-entering the atmosphere may have been the object seen in the sky. But this would have appeared as a fireworks display moving slowly in straight lines, which mm. again doesn't match up with any of the reports. It sort of matches up with the later reports after the after the craft took off, after Penniston and them saw the craft hover up out. They said later on they saw hemispheres of light in the sky that it could have been that then. Could have but, been. Sure. You know. But yeah, I mean, anyway, but this know. event also occurred hours before the sighting. Okay. 
Uh, concerning the craft on the ground itself, some think that it could have been part of a training mission. The description of the object resembles a boilerplate command module, which from the outside resembles the Apollo command module used in the lunar landings. Okay. Some think it could have been dropped by accident in the middle of the forest, while others think, again, could be a prank. But this command module weighs 9,000 pounds, Mm. which means whoever it was behind the prank or the accident would have had to use a gigantic helicopter. That means that the witnesses would have seen and heard said helicopter, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's no way a helicopter could have silently taken the object out of the clearing at the speed-impossible manner that Penniston reported. Unless the men in black did it, because they have their silent black helicopters. Mm. But that seems to be an American thing. And I think that maybe the men in black were busy training Will Smith. I know it. To be the cockiest, newest member at the time. So they couldn't have been in two places. No, absolutely not. Is it possible that they went for like beefcake pallbearers that were just like real strong that could scuttle 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 really really fast and carry something nine thousand pounds okay yeah it's possible to have a bunch of nude strong men out in the deep forests of rendlesham just uh, at your beck and call right yeah yes exactly like you're the real what's his name the skull man from, from me, Red Skull? Man, from Skeletor. Oh, like, if you're the yeah, real Skeletor. Skeletor. Yes, of course. And this still stands, by the way. When I die, uh, Marcus and Henry are my pallbearers. Uh-huh. We're not doing the pussy approach with the wheels. I know. You guys are going to be forced to carry me. Just let just, you know. No, we'll drag, we'll drag your coffin. Is it just the two of us? No, I might allow if Holden, it, but Holden's just going to weigh you guys down even further. Yeah, yeah. He's just going to pretend. Plan. Yeah. No, oh, we, oh, my God. Holden is going to pretend. <laughs> <laughs> then, of course, there's the infamous lighthouse. Now, we addressed the lighthouse briefly on the last episode, but it's worth examining further. The source of this explanation was a local forester named Vince Thurkettle. And I'm only as high as your knee. (laughs) And I live inside a flower. And I like granting wishes to little boys that find me. Oh, that's great. See, when the Rendlesham story first broke in the UK press, reporters descended upon the area and spoke to whoever was willing in order to find their scoop, because everyone wanted the scoop. Everyone wants a scoop. And it was Thurkettle who suggested the lighthouse as an explanation. Mm. But there are problems with this. And as we said last episode, mm-hmm. the witnesses were most likely familiar with the lighthouse. And when you read the full statements from the first night, that fact is confirmed. Many of the witnesses actually used the lighthouse beacon as a point of reference. Oh, that's what it's for. Yeah, as in, like, the light was on our left while the beacon was to the right. All, most of the witnesses used that lighthouse as a point of reference. Mm-hmm. But to be fair... There were no official statements taken from the second night where the lighthouse really would have been in view. Mm. But this, at the very least, establishes that men stationed at Bentwater's Wood Bridge were familiar with the landmark. Right. Furthermore, the actual lighthouse keeper himself does not support this theory. Really? This is what he said. I know what my lighthouse looked like from the forest. I've seen it in all weathers. It just could not do what those airmen and local people describe the UFO as doing. National and the lighthouse is kind of like me daughter, which is why I never let it go to sleep. That's the that's the plot of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just the plot of the ring? The daughter. Well, I guess that's more the mother. So, so this guy hangs out in the lighthouse all day. That's his only all job. All day long. That's what a lighthouse keeper does. Do they sleep in the lighthouse? Uh, Sometimes. 
You know what? I guess it depends on the lighthouse keeper. It wouldn't be that bad if you had a little house in the lighthouse and you just go up to work, but my God, that's got, that's got to be an interesting job. I think the house is in the bottom. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it might be in the bottom. I also think that a true lighthouse keeper would never leave because isn't it supposed to keep the ship safe? Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to have a family. You're supposed to be the loneliest man in the world who it only loves like one it. light. And you love boats. That's it. Yeah. You don't care about anything yeah. else. You find a woman who wants to marry a lighthouse keeper and live out by the sea. I love it. Until she dies horribly in a boat accident or <laughs> killed by the government. And then you become the, the light keeper, which is just a uh, renegade dude with just a gun and the, uh, the law on somebody else's side. That's sad. All right. Interesting life. I might do that one day. Yeah, you know what? That's a nice third act for you. Yeah, I love it. I, I do actually want to retire on the beach, which is so ironic because I hate being naked mm-hmm. or even in, in a bathing suit. Yeah. An isolated beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, a lot of getting revealed. A lot of getting accidentally revealed today. Oh, there's you a didn't lot know, you didn't know that? We've had a lot of conversations yeah, about that. It. Yeah. Oh, no. I've, he is highly reticent to put on any sort of bathing suit to the point where we were in the beautiful beaches of Italia where Kissel just cut the legs off of his jeans and wore <laughs> full clothes into the beautiful sea and then tried to climb on the side of a rocky beachfront in order to take a shit in front of a nice restaurant no, in the I ocean. Did, oh, I you did, did that. You no, had to take a shit in the, in the water thing again. You did that when we went camping once. Oh, you took a shit God. in the river. Okay, first of all, <laughs> No, I did that on the rocks away from the people. Uh, you were, it all, was a 360-degree view no, I went into of the, the beach. This is you literally in front of beautiful Italian shit. people. I did have a beer that entire time, though, and I didn't lose it until the very end. <laughs> now, strangely, some of the explanations that try to, uh, I guess, make this whole thing a, a rational event mm-hmm. are even more outlandish than, say, aliens. Oh, okay. Some people have suggested that the U.S. government was using an experimental ghost gun to project (laughs) the images and couple that with hallucinogenic drugs in the water supply as a kind of, I don't know, like training exercise. Oh. It's interesting. That would be cool, though, if it was true. Yeah, usually they don't put drugs in the water supply. They just let it get poisoned by corporations. (laughs) And this one might be the dumbest one of all. Now, while we do know that the government has definitely experimented with hallucinogens in the past, it's impossible to think they would introduce such a thing into a base armed with nuclear weapons. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe tripping them out on acid isn't a good idea. (laughs) I don't know, but I feel like maybe isn't that the ultimate ultimate test if they could still keep doing their jobs and our government was just Mysterio our government literally was just a Spider-Man villain I guess and while the government was also known to have drugged soldiers without letting them know what they were doing Edgewood they did that for what months at a time yeah That was done in a highly controlled environment, far away from even live rounds, much less the atomic fucking bomb. Yeah, I mean, unless they called it like Operation Lord of the Flies with adults, (laughs) it doesn't make much sense. The only somewhat plausible explanation is that whatever Burroughs and Peniston saw was possibly some sort of experimental Soviet craft. Now, of course, if this was the case, the Soviets wouldn't claim it because that might set off World War III. Right. And, of course, the U.K. and the U.S. US couldn't have called out the Soviet Union because that would be a huge embarrassment if the Soviets had been able to so easily penetrate joint airspace. Mm-hmm. 
And it's possible that the strange symbols Peniston saw were actually Cyrillic, Russian writing. And Peniston either didn't recognize it or was too dumbfounded by the craft to really think straight. Mm -hmm. This is by far the most straightforward. If there was going to be a thing that wasn't what they saw or some some other entity, that makes it does make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but... Even that explanation is a pretty far cry from reality. Now, it's true that the Soviets did accomplish many technological feats in the 50s and 60s. They had the first satellite, and they were able to put the first living thing in orbit, even though they killed that poor dog. It was a dog! Yeah, like that. Dog uh. was, the dog was barking out state secrets. That's <laughs> why it got killed. So. But something of this magnitude was nowhere near the capabilities of the Soviets in the 80s, who by that time were so broke they were using the same tanks over and over again in propaganda films with different paint jobs to bolster their false image of military superiority. But you know, that's what's so fun for their sixth grade classrooms when they're making paper mache ICBMs, (laughs) and they're just like, this is going to be in the parade. That honestly would be such a fun way. That's a fun way to do school and and weapons construction. Um, There is one... I have one explanation that I wonder what it is, right? I, I kind of have this this thought that the reason why UFOs in the military mix so often is because what if it is indeed an intelligence that has sort of a psychic connection to us and uses us as sort of like an anchor to portray ourselves? Or like Jacques Vallée says, they use imagery from our own minds in order to tr- attempt to communicate. They're attempting to communicate... Some say they are trying to, quote unquote, teach us, but maybe it's more they are just trying to say, can can we bridge this gap? Is there a way for us to speak to each other? What if there is an intelligence that reaches through our bullshit and the reason why Foo Fighters and all these things exist to the military and the reason why Jim Penniston saw a craft shaped thing? And we see these so often is because it's literally almost a not a trickster. They are imitating us. Mm. They look at us and they they see these things and they're like they fly these things around. This is their this is their military. What if we ape these things? What if we mimic them to try to show? See, we understand you got planes like this that have stuff on the side. You have this. You do this. You fly in formation. You do these things. We're doing it too to show you that we're alike. I'm reading this book called uh, um, it's called Semiology by Sue mm. Burke. that talks about this plant, a psychic plant trying to communicate with people by trying to bridge a gap by showing communication. Yeah, I uh, actually had a guy at, uh, in the bar the other night try to drunkenly uh, explain that book to me as well. It, it sounded nice. <laughs> yeah. Did it sound like this? What's the, what's like the name of the book? Screaming you? Semiology by by Sue Burke. And is like the is the is the the little uh tagline like how to get your wife to divorce you in 30 days? No, no, <laughs> no. It? You just have Oh no, it's called Semiosis. Semiosis. Semiosis by Sue Burke. Yeah. All right, cool. I, I know like it's it. it is very it's it, there's a part of it that's very interesting, but this is then I wonder cuz this is why this next little bit might be indicative of that theory. All right, yeah. let's get to that. It very well could be. Okay. Because the explanation that it could have been a Soviet craft mm-hmm. does not address the binary code. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> of course it doesn't, Watson. <laughs> this is the part of the story that was hidden until 2010, hidden by Jim Penniston, that believes he did communicate with this crap. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, he had been keeping a gigantic part of the story to himself for decades. Why? All because he had no idea what he was sitting on. According to Penniston, a couple of days after the incident, he found his thoughts 
were crowded by a series of numbers, ones and zeros, repeat, repeating over and over again. And and so, I didn't know binary code from nothing. <laughs> I didn't know it from nothing. You ought to describe me with binary code. Did you tell me if you know what it is immediately? I've never done it. I'm going to channel the 80s. I'm going to channel the 80s. This is only how he speaks for He does hours. not speak like a drunk Cajun. He's yeah, <laughs> just channeling it. I'm you something else. Can't wait to get uh, can't wait to get out to New Orleans. Actually, oh, his, yeah. his accent's oh, yeah. making me desire to go to New Orleans. Oh yeah. Well, since Peniston was not able to get those ones and zeros out of his head, he wasn't able to make it stop. He wrote the numbers down, hmm. and then after he wrote the numbers down, filling twelve pages worth just with the numbers, with just yes. zeros and ones, twelve pages of zeros and ones. Jeez. It stopped. And he kind of forgot about it because there was so much going on at the time that the zeros and ones, he's like, well, that was just a small part of it. I have no fucking clue what that means. So I'm not going to talk about it. So he, went he just full- thought it was garbage. He thought it was like mental, tr- like just kind of side effects or whatever it was that he saw. So apparently when he touched the symbols on the side of the craft, he said it felt like, again, it was like rough cut inside of smooth glass. These like little rough cut areas, like laser cut. But when he touched the main symbol on top, which was the triangle with two circles on either one of the points, he felt this thing zap into his brain. These, like, these the ones and zeros. But he just thought it was just kind of like a, a some kind of side effect of what he was dealing with. And he kept this little notebook that had the drawings of the symbols, that had the original descriptions of the craft, and he would bring them to conferences every once in a while because he didn't like showing it to people because it was like his secret shit. It was his proof that I saw the thing. And so finally someone was like going through the notebook and we're like, what is this shit? He's like, this is like a weird message that the craft kind of did sent me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And and this person, a millennial, was like, this is binary code. Now, of course... All of this is completely and totally dependent on whether or not you believe Peniston and whether or not you believe the people involved. But we had our employee, Michelle, check the code because she just took a class in binary code. She got a B. She is doing, actually, that was the only, she got all A's. We have a lot of really smart employees. She got A's? She got A's and everything, except for the B, she got a B plus Uh, in that. A B plus is still pretty good. That's better than me. I got an incomplete. I, I, don't, I, I didn't go to school well. I yeah. couldn't pass Math 090, which technically wasn't even worth a college credit. Mm-hmm. I, it took three tutors to get me through college algebra. You know who the best tutor was? Who? My drug dealer. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Really, was it because they were giving you a bunch of Adderall? <laughs> no, I bought Adderall from a different person. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh. this is my weed dealer. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, very smart dude. That's great. But the thing is, our employee, Michelle says that the code is legit. Okay. So, when the 12 pages of code were translated to text, it was discovered that whatever was in the craft had downloaded words and coordinates directly into Peniston's brain. The message begins with the phrase, quote, Exploration of humanity. It then lists the coordinates of a place called High Brasil. Now, we're not talking about Brazil, the country here. Hmm. What this was pointing to directly was actually a mythical island off the western coast of Ireland, which appeared on maps as far back as 1325 and as late as 1595. Although that doesn't really prove anything other than that the cartographers decided it should be there. Okay. 
And supposedly, this place was a kind of Irish Atlantis. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> we covered it in piss. That's why you disappeared. It just ended in 40 feet of piss. Can't wait to see y'all in Dublin, by Can't the way. Wait. Really excited. Well, this Irish Atlantis is said to be constantly hidden in mist, with the exception of a single day every seven years. And it's visible on that day, but still, it cannot be reached. It's Brigadoon. Yeah. It's also, isn't it Black Panther? What's the name of the place? That <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Wakanda is totally Wakanda? different. Wakanda is hidden by uh, technological means. Oh, okay. Yeah. But a sea captain named John Nisbet claimed to have reached high Brazil in 1674. And he said that he and his crew were met by a wizard who lived alone in a large stone castle surrounded by black rabbits. Big black rabbits. That's awesome. That's such a fucking cool fucking visual, dude. What a prog rock album that is. (laughs) Coming out of the fucking, coming out of the castle riding a big fucking weird fierce rabbit. Ooh. (laughs) That's cool. Well, the message downloaded into Penniston's brain continued after the coordinates to High Brazil. It said, quote, Continuous for planetary advan, period. Fourth coordinate continuous UQS CBPR. The Whoa. things were lost in translation. In other Some words. things were. Yeah, a couple of things were lost in translation. But regardless, the message continued to give coordinates after that. The next coordinates? Caracol Belize, which was a well-known site of Mayan ruins. Whoa. It then gave the coordinates of Sedona, Arizona, which is... Sedona? Sedona, which yep. is, we all know. I mean, that's that's it's Crystal witchy. that's Crystal Palace right there. Yeah, it's yeah dude. That's the town. land of fucking quartz yeah. in this Whoa, country. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It also listed the coordinates for the Great Pyramid of Giza, Mount Tai in China, the Nazca Lines in Peru, and the Temple of Apollo in Greece. Didn't Milwaukee didn't make the list, huh? <laughs> No, it didn't go to the it didn't go to the Schlitz brewery. (laughs) In other words, this message is a veritable buffet of ancient alien sites. That's so cool. It then closes with these three lines. Eyes of your eyes, origin high Brazil, origin year eighty one hundred. And then it just stops. Whoa. So this is I am ignorant. On this, so this is this is how they translated the binary code. They translated yes. the binary co- the zero one zero zero one zero one zero zero one. They were able to translate that binary code into text. And how Michelle tried explaining it to me, and I did not understand. It seems really hard. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. And you know, this is all dependent. On your belief of Jim Penniston. Now, but did Penniston, he wasn't there for computer sciences, right? No. Like, so this was just him being like, I have no idea what the hell I'm writing down. It's like when you start out being a comedian and you start to write jokes out, and then you look at him the next day and you're like, yeah, wheels are round. What was the joke? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why did I write this? What the fuck is wrong with me? Now you write this in a blackout? No, he is. I. This is one of those parts of the story that you either believe it or not, I I think it's highly interesting. I think the fact that the binary code, I think that it'd be different if you wrote down a bunch of numbers and then it meant nothing. And then they, of course, if they did, and then it would, you'd just be like, all right, you tried good work. You know what I mean? Like you, you tried to put this together, whatever, but they, they carbon dated the, the actual notebook. 
And they said it was genuine. He did Whoa, write it at the time. Really? Um, and so they he did show that. Uh, he did know what binary code was, and I believe him that he has no yeah, clue what he wrote. Who the hell knows what and the fact code that it is. even worked out to this is pretty interesting. That is awesome. So yeah. this is by far the most um, tangible evidence we have. Oh yeah. Oh, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is it is not really tangible. Yeah. It technically is still not tangible because it just comes from the mind of Jim Penniston, and it it sort of vaguely refers to these UFOs as not as actual nuts and bolts time traveling human beings from the age eighty one hundred. That is very cool, though. I'm just saying it's tangible from the sense we have a carbon date on the paper, so yeah. we know that he wrote it down then. And yeah, I, I mean, employee Michelle still thinks that they got this from the 2007 Transformers movie. She's a skeptic. Okay, sure. Very much so, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are out there. But this binary code stuff, it's still one of the coolest UFO stories around. All right. I mean, honestly, it is absolutely. And I think it's highly, highly compelling. Even if we put this together, that's a lot of work. Yeah. For a man to then have to get a binary code book out and figure out how to put, first of all, coordinate all of these things, figure out how to put all the ancient alien stuff together, create a whole backstory. He should just write sci-fi. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, in conclusion, while we don't necessarily believe that it was definitely aliens who visited Rendlesham Forest back in Christmas of 1980, we do believe that something beyond our current understanding did occur. But what with all the UFO disclosure that's been happening recently with the Navy, it could very well be that we're closer to an answer for what's happening with UFOs in the military now than we've ever been. And if it all turns out to be burning piles of cow shit, <laughs> then so be it. So be it. Uh, a, this binary so be code it. spells out, uh, smells like dookie, smells like cows well fed, smells like burning shit. <laughs> I wanted, yeah, I actually received a letter from a listener that has a quote on it that I actually would like to, I think, applies to this, and I think it's very interesting. At Topher M. Ford is the Twitter handle of the man who said this to me. Um, the quote is... Cosmic lore is absolutely ruthless and highly indifferent. It teaches its lessons, whether you like them or not. Whoa. All right. Rendlesham. Very good. That was awesome. I think this is probably the, I love all of these alien stories. I love the couple in Florida, the guy in the white, tidy whiteies freaking out, doing his ninja moves. But this is, um, because it's all military and because we got this binary code thing, this seems like the best piece of evidence so far that we've covered anyway. And I'll tell you what. These guys... Up to a certain point, again, ufology ruins lives. You don't make money in ufology. These guys really didn't make money in ufology. But you see, Halt and Penison specifically, it changed their entire lives. These touch, the touches with the unknown does a thing to the human psyche. And we always, how many times do we say this? Do you have to be crazy to see UFOs or do UFOs make you crazy? I don't know. I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Know the chicken and the egg is. How many times do we say that, Henry? We, we talk about it a lot, every single time. Like, are you a crazy person because you're seeing UFOs or do they only communicate with crazy people? Right, right. Or does it see, or do you see it and then you can never go back? Right, Like, right. once you go UFO, you never do it no more with anything else, <laughs> right? And so you want something like the Hall perspective, because no one's buying the Hall perspective. No. No, no one no. wants this in their home. I, I had to take this know. out of my home to put it in the office. I was asked gently by Natalie, being like, it's just taking up, like, a lot of room <laughs> on, the, on the coffee table, if you could, like, move it to the office. And I was like, you're correct. 
That's an office book. Put that on the back of the toilet. Let everyone thumb through it with their hopefully clean hands, and uh, they can learn a little bit while they do their business. Um, awesome. Well, speaking of once-in-a-lifetime experiences and things that will change you forever, our live show is so much fun. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we are super excited to see everyone in Australia. Again, uh, Perth, come on out, guys. That's going to be the first stop on the tour. And I think we'll be there a couple of days early, right? Because we got to so. fly yeah. in a little bit early. Yeah. Um, so we're going to hang out in Perth. I cannot wait. And, yeah. uh, and Sydney, who knows, Adelaide. Who knows when the fuck we're going to come back to Australia? I, I, I'm treating this as a once-in-a-lifetime just yeah. because, honestly, you just never know. Um, so we just can't wait. We don't know. I, I'm so excited. Honestly, tips to do things in Sydney. Please send our way. Please. What's fun to do in Sydney? Please send us. I, I want to go see koalas. <laughs> I so know. So we're going to go see some koalas at some point. You're, you are going to come out. You're going to come back without a nose. <laughs> well, I've heard, that Dave, I've heard that Dave Willis told me. I think we talked about this. Dave Willis said that they, they smell like big old nugs. Did I say that on the show? Yeah. You did. I don't know. It seems like you're very excited about it. <laughs> I want to give them little kisses. <laughs> but but do, do, is there anyone out there that knows koalas smell like marijuana? Is, does anyone else think that? Send us an email at sidestorieslpotl at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, we'll, uh, Henry and I will see you this weekend at the Bell House. Uh, we're going to be hanging out for Jackie Zabrowski and Holden McNeely's combined show of Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser. Uh, Jake will be there. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, Henry and I are going to be there just hanging out, watching our buddies uh, do a hell of a show. And uh, yeah, So we can't to. see you. Well, yeah. they, they will. They will. And uh, they're almost sold out over there by the way so if you haven't gotten your tickets yet get your tickets um because it's going to sell out i think they have like another 10 tickets or something like that it's a, yeah it's so, very very close to selling out. i gotta go to texas this weekend so i unfortunately won't make it but yeah best of luck to everybody i hope it's going to be a fucking great show and i know it's going to be a fucking great show it's going to be awesome yeah. and thanks- i've been checking out some of the uh things that they've got planned for it uh our employee mary showed it to me oh. and it looks like it's going to be a really really fun show so please yeah. go out to that very exciting and keep on supporting all the shows here on lpn Top Hat, which Marcus may or may not be back on. I don't know. I think I need to be. Honestly, the show is going great, but I, you can always come back on. <laughs> um, yeah. of whatever you want to do, whenever our book is our book is nearly completed. It's so close to so being done. So that will, yes, obviously free up Mr. Pox for a little while um, until we put him back to work to write another tome. Um, no. And all, no. No more no, books. No, it's not happening. No more books. You know, page seven, Wiz Brew, uh, Movie Signs with the Mads. You know all the shows here. Keep on checking out the shows. Just thumb around and you'll find something you like, I'm sure of it. Hail sweet, sweet Satan. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail me. Hail Gein. Magustalations. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. Very good. I have very to good. go write some binary code down. So <laughs> Look to the skies. Always. <laughs> hey, what's up, everyone? I am Ben Kissel, and I'm with Marcus Parks. Hi, Ben. We're going to talk to you a little bit about Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. It's the political show that Marcus and I do. It's a lot of fun. If you want to get up to date on the weekly news of politics, uh, check out the show. Uh, you know, I, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like I it. Think We're reasonable. Like it. We're reasonable yeah. people. We're five people. We're five people. <laughs> um, so that's good. So check it out, because there is a lot to unpack, and hopefully it helps you get through your week. So hail yourselves, everyone. Thanks for listening. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Brubble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.